Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Olivia de Bercier. And I'm Sophia Osborne. So today we're going to talk about the ribbon eel as well as the European eel a little bit. So I'm excited to talk about that today. And we're changing it up. So Sophia is going to be telling us about this one uh, because she knows all the facts today. Yeah, I'm Blathers now. Yeah. And I'm really excited to hear about this because Sophia sent me a really cool article about eels. So I think we'll get to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I read an article in The New Yorker a little bit ago that was about how weird eels are. And I got really excited about (laughs) eels, which is like quite unusual. Um, But yeah, they're actually very cool. So I'm looking forward to diving into them more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasn't expecting them to turn out as interesting as they were. But first, uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about ribbon eels in the game. So they're actually one of the most unique animals in the game because their shadow in the water is very distinct. It's all long and slithery like a real eel. And when you catch one in the game, Blathers will tell you the ribbon eel is related to the moray eel, though its bright coloration distinguishes it. It also has an unusual plant-like appendage at the tip of its nose that flutters as the creature moves. I like to think of it as having an extremely friendly nose that waves a greeting at those nearby. Which is just such a pleasant image. I really like that. <laughs> it is. I like the little fluttery nose. Fluttery nose. Little flag nose. Yeah, it's really cute in photos too. But yeah, Blathers isn't really right that the ribbon eel is directly related to the moray eel. It's actually a type of moray eel, which is a whole family of eels. And there are actually about 200 species of moray eels scattered around the world, mostly found in marine water, but a few are found in freshwater. But the ribbon eel is also the only member of the genus Rhinomyrinae. Where would you specifically find the ribbon eels? They're found in lagoons and reefs in the Indo-Pacific Ocean, ranging from Japan to Australia, East Africa, and French Polynesia. And they're usually hiding in sand or rubble, and they'll have just their head sticking out. And I guess also they're kind of common to find in personal aquariums, which is actually kind of sad because they can live for a long time in the wild, up to 20 years. But in aquariums, a lot of times they'll die within a month because they're really sensitive to their environment. So do ribbon eels look cool in real life as well as in the game? Yeah, I think they're a really cool choice for the game because they're just so unique looking. People often compare them to a dragon because usually when divers see them, the ribbon eel will open its mouth really wide and then, like Blather said, it has the cool plant-like nose, so it just has this dragony vibe. And so the ribbon eel you catch in the game is blue, so this is the adult male ribbon eel. But actually, ribbon eels are really interesting because they don't care at all about our simplistic cis-normative ideas of gender. <laughs> They're the only known species of moray eel that is a prochandrous hermaphrodite. So this means that all ribbon eels are born male, and as they get older and larger, they start to develop female reproductive organs, and then they can lay eggs. And as they change their life stages, they also completely change color as well. Oh, that's so cool. I think it's interesting that in the game, that means that we always catch male ribbon eels. But yeah, researchers used to think that there were multiple species of ribbon eel, but they're actually just really distinct life stages. So when they first hatch, they'll be dark black, and as they get older, they start to develop yellow bands, and eventually 
they become adult males like we see in Animal Crossing that are blue and yellow, but then they start to lose the blue and they become all yellow when they transition to being females. That is unbelievably cool. Like, they just have all these different stages, and as they get older, you can kind of tell almost what age they are. That's really neat. It's like Pokemon evolutions, but with eels. We gotta catch all the ribbon eels, basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But not actually, please. (laughs) Yeah, but I do need to mark everything I just said with a huge asterisk, because eels in general are very mysterious and unknown, which I think is really cool about them, but it hasn't really been confirmed whether their sex does change and whether the colorations do have to do with their age and sex. I read an article about how the Vienna Zoo was the first to successfully breed ribbon eels in captivity, and this was just in 2014, and the adult male that they had that they used for breeding was black, not blue and yellow. So... They also thought maybe these colorations have something to do with the environment they're in. Like I said before, they can be sensitive. Yeah. So they could be, like, in the wild, different colorations than what would eventually happen in an aquarium or something. Yeah, so it makes them hard to study, which is kind of a theme with eels, for sure. (laughs) Which is part of the cool thing about them. Ooh, foreshadowing for the rest of the episode. Yeah, basically... I want to talk about eel breeding, which is something I'm weirdly excited to it's share with everyone. It's fascinating. I think it's fair to be excited about this. People will understand by the end of the episode why you're excited. Yeah. So I would definitely encourage everyone to read this New Yorker article, which I read. It's called Where Do Eels Come From by Brooke Jarvis. And it's just really mind-blowing. So I'll do a little bit of a summary of it, but there's a lot more information in the article that I don't go into. Mm -hmm. But I also need to say that the article is specifically talking about the European eel, Anguilla anguilla, and it's in a whole different family from the ribbon eel, but it's still really cool, so I thought since we're just on the eel topic, we'll talk about this. Yeah, and just to clarify, like, it doesn't have that seaweedy nose, or, like, it doesn't look as colorful or as stereotypically pretty as the ribbon eel does it's more like when you imagine kind of just your very like basic eel like this Mm -hmm. is the eel that people in europe would catch and they'd eat it you know so Mm -hmm. it's not like a fancy not a fancy eel (laughs) yeah it's just a basic eel (laughs) but its breeding is not basic no so it's a diamond in the rough you know so brooke jarvis's article is kind of summarizing a new book called The Book of Eels by the Swedish journalist Patrick Svensson, which I really want to read the book now, but (laughs) it's basically about the mysterious, mystical nature of eels and, you know, how Patrick and his father were connected by their fascination with eels and how eels make people question whether, like, God is actually (laughs) real and things like that. So the article starts off talking about how people have always been really stumped by eels. They'd catch them in rivers, lakes, and the sea. They'd catch them in ponds that would dry out and refill each year that had no access to other water. So they were like, where did these eels (laughs) come from? How did they survive when there wasn't actually a pond here? That's incredible. Yeah. And they also realized that, you know, because they would be catching these eels and eating them and everything... But the eels didn't have any ovaries or testicles or eggs. So they were like, 
How do they meet? (laughs) Do they just kind of spontaneously appear? And this was kind of this mystery was amplified by the fact that no one ever saw them mate. Like just no one had ever observed eels mating in the wild or in captivity. So people had no idea where they came from. According to Svensson, quote, the ancient Egyptians believed that eels were produced by the sun warming the Nile. Aristotle decided that eels emerged spontaneously from mud and rainwater. Pliny the Elder thought that new eels developed when old eels rubbed away parts of their bodies on rocks. As late as the 1860s, a Scottish author espoused an old belief that they began their lives as beetles. In the English countryside, where eel fishing was popular, most people adhered to the theory that eels were born when hair from horses' tails fell into the water. I kind of feel that, like, beetles won. Like, that's a really fair idea. I feel like beetles have really weird-looking larvae, and I can see it going the opposite way. (laughs) I was going to say that I thought you would like the beetles won. I like the idea, though, that, like, eels could just sort of cell division themselves into existence. (laughs) Like, just and divide into two that's my personal eel theory but yeah i mean so people had all these theories but what scientists eventually realized was that like the ribbon eel the european eel is a creature of metamorphosis (laughs) so it has four distinct stages and people thought that these were actually four different animals altogether this article describes how there's quote a tiny gossamer larva with huge eyes floating toward Europe in the open sea, a shimmering glass eel known as an elver, a few inches in length with visible insides, making its way along coasts and up rivers, a yellow-brown eel, the kind you might catch in ponds, which can move across dry land, hibernate in mud until you've forgotten it was ever there, and live quietly for half a century in a single place, and finally, the silver eel, a long, powerful muscle that ripples its way back to sea. When this last metamorphosis happens, the eel's stomach dissolves. It will travel thousands of miles on its fat reserves alone, and its reproductive organs develop for the first time. In the eels of Europe, no one could find these organs because they did not yet exist. I love that. It's like, um, like these are real life fairies, you know? They, they like, they remind me of like mythical creatures. They can just transform like that and like appear out of nowhere and hibernate and then like, go back mysteriously into the sea. I just love that. I I feel like they're real-life fairies, but they don't look at all like what we thought fairies would look like. Yeah, I mean, it really shows that a lot of the times, especially with evolution, like, science ends up being a lot stranger and cooler than fiction. True, yeah. Like, who would have thought? Like, this, it's such a, like, dramatic tale. Yeah, I think natural and, I guess, sexual selection as well is just such an interesting tool. Like, it just can do the most wild things. Yeah, that's very true. Like, kind of strange, illogical things that end up working. And <laughs> By random chance, they kind of worked enough to pass the genes along. Now, this is the most interesting part. No one has ever observed the Anguilla Anguilla mating in the wild. Still, in 2020... There have been a few successful attempts to breed them in captivity, so scientists have seen them mate, although the larvae died in those experiments. But yeah, in the wild, scientists tracked eels back to find this very specific area where the larvae seem to appear in the Sargasso Sea, but they can't find any evidence of mature eels there or any eel eggs. 
just the larvae. For anyone who doesn't know where the Sargasso Sea is, it's off of the east coast of kind of like the U.S. and Central America. It's kind of that section of the Atlantic Ocean. But I love that even with GPS trackers on the eels, like even with that very expensive technology, like they still can't figure it out. Like they beyond their their mating habits are beyond our technology. And I think that is, as we said before, humbling. It's it's kind of funny. I like it when animals like outwit us. Like we still can't no matter our intellect figure something out. Like they've tried so many different techniques to get them to mate. They've basically used hormones to bring females into heat, and then they take the females to the breeding grounds, attach them to boys, and use their pheromones as bait, which is intense. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what does that look like? Like, are they in, like, their own little, like, container, and they put it in the water? Or are they just, like... I wouldn't want to, like, mate under those conditions I yeah, either. Like, ooh, romantic. <laughs> There's some hormonally treated eels hanging from a boy i that's a really <laughs> terrible way of imagining this but i i really don't know how what to picture here like mistletoe but actually it's a boy covered in very hormonal eels <laughs> let's yeah. kiss under the hormonal eels <laughs> <laughs> what if we kissed under the hormonal eel <laughs> just right. kidding just or. kidding or or <laughs> Uh, obviously didn't work for the eels so must not be that romantic who would have thought but yeah they've also like in the area looking for eggs and for eels they've opened the stomachs of predators you know like searched the whole area but yeah they've never seen the angolangola mating they've never seen their eggs they've never seen any mature eels in the sargasso sea even like dead ones they haven't even seen a single what? Yeah, they haven't seen an egg, a mature <laughs> eel, or anything. They're just like, they think they come from this area, but they can't confirm they it. They just, like, dissolve into the water. They're just, like... Yeah. Their, their last stage is, like, fully invisible. Like, they just... Wow. Netflix's Unsolved Mysteries needs to get on yeah, this, Yeah, they're missing honestly. out. But yeah, I mean, like we were saying before, science is really important, and really amazing, and obviously Olivia and I both like science, but it's still really cool and somehow hopeful that there's something that we just can't figure out, and that, yeah, there's something that's, like, this much of a mystery, an animal on our planet that is just, like, too mysterious for us. Yeah. And, yeah, it it fills me with a sense of awe, and I guess some people think that eels are aliens or, like, proof yep, of God. fair enough. <laughs> they are aliens. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe I wouldn't go that far, but I do think that they're very cool. But then, I don't know, I need to kind of take it on a sad note. The Anguilla Anguilla is starting to disappear, and because they're so mysterious, scientists don't know why. So the International Union for the Conservation of Nature has it as, yeah, critically endangered. Which is shocking. Like, when I searched that up, I was expecting, like, vulnerable or decreasing or something. But, like, to have something critically endangered is, like, a big, big deal to list it that way. Because that that's, like, the next step before extinct in the wild or extinct. 
Yeah, and we don't know why they're disappearing. Like, because we can't observe them mating and we don't really even know where they're coming from, all we know is that fewer and fewer of them are arriving in Europe each year. I don't know. I Like, normally we would have some advice about conservation of this animal, but right now it's just kind of a mystery. And the article talked about how, unfortunately, we might have to lose that mystery in order to save them. But it really makes you think, like, that's one species where we're aware of that mystery, but there's also so many other things in the ocean that are complete empty spaces in our human knowledge that are definitely at risk right now. So, I mean, I guess a lot of the same conservation messaging for the rest of the ocean could apply to the eel. I mean, those general things like, well, climate change is definitely changing the temperature of the water, which affects so many different organisms and overfishing has always been a huge problem and probably continues to be for the eel. So definitely consider those to be conservation issues and maybe we don't know for sure that it's affecting the eel, but if I were to take an educated guess, that's kind of what I would think. And I mean, I think overfishing might be an issue too. Mm -hmm. Like this article just talks about, you know, how you used to be able to just catch eels by the bucketful basically which is the same thing with most fish that we've overfished so it's not a huge surprise since they are a pretty common food in a lot of the rest of the world Mm -hmm. and i do enjoy some unagi on my sushi i gotta be honest (laughs) unagi (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah to turn back to the ribbon eel their population is luckily stable although they are often caught in the wild to be kept in private aquariums, like I talked about. And yeah, it is really problematic because they don't do well in those environments. And so Mm -hmm. I hope Blathers is on top of making sure the aquarium (laughs) in Animal Crossing is perfect for these guys. And I, I actually read in the article out of the Vienna Zoo that they don't think it's a good idea to mix the ribbon eels in with other fish. And that could be a problem, so I think we need to let Blathers know, because <laughs> the ribbon eel is in a tank with a bunch of other fish, which is a problem. Mm. This is why we should suggest that we have some curational direction over our island museum, so we can ensure that yeah. it's, um, no animals are eating. That's like I saw the tiger beetle was in with a bunch of other insects, and I was like, mm, they're gonna die. Yeah, there's a tree in the insect section. Oh, and they and fight! And if you go there at night, yeah, they'll fight. There's a fight club! <laughs> insect yeah. fight club on the tree, the tree with the sap on it in your museum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh boy. That was an exciting thing to see. I was like, whoa. And there's like an audience. There's like two bugs fighting and they have an audience of other bugs it's a cool detail it's, it is, the is definitely <laughs> like, filled with details i don't know who did that but they had a they had a sense of humor i i liked it anyway thanks so much sophia that was honestly such a fascinating episode and definitely go check out that article um we'll have to link it in our instagram and twitter so you can get look at it because it's definitely worth it. And of course, thanks everyone for listening. Please rate and review us and let us know on Twitter and Instagram if there's an animal you really want us to cover. It's been awesome this past week. We've definitely had a boom in uh, listeners and uh, we've been doing really well, which is so exciting. So please, please, please keep rating and reviewing. It helps us so much and we really appreciate it. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye.